Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hi, everyone. This is Julia Longoria, host of The Experiment. One of the very best parts of my job is getting to call up journalists like Ed Young, Van Newkirk, and Amanda Mole. Their reporting for The Atlantic has brought vital insight to millions of readers and listeners around the world. You can enjoy all of The Atlantic's groundbreaking journalism, gain unlimited access to every single story when you become a subscriber. Just go to theatlantic.com slash listener and get started. I'm Julia Longoria. This is The Experiment. We're a show about our unfinished country, telling stories about people navigating our country's ideals and our contradictions. And last week, Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor revealed that big changes have quietly been taking place in the highest court of our country. There's a new set of rules for how justices can ask lawyers questions in the courtroom. For decades and decades before this, it used to be that justices would just pipe up and ask questions, kind of at random, first come, first serve. But a few years ago, a study revealed that women on the court were more prone to being interrupted. Now, there's a new order to it all. They'll ask in order of seniority. So, to mark the passing of these new rules, this week, we're re-releasing a story about how things used to be and the study that made these changes possible. I reported it a few years ago for a show called More Perfect, hosted by Jad Abumrad from Radiolab, that's all about the Supreme Court. Here it is. The Honorable, the Chief Justice, and the Associate Justices of the Supreme Court of the United States. Oh, yay, oh, yay, oh, yay. All persons having business before the Honorable, the Supreme Court of the United States, are admonished to draw near and give their attention. Oh, yay, oh, yay. For the Court is now sitting. Oh, yay. God save the United States and this Honorable Court. Okay, ready? Yeah. This is More Perfect. I'm Jad Abumrad here with Julia Longoria. Hello. Hello, Julia. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so 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 we've been getting this question um, from listeners, and it's something I've always wondered, too, listening to the, to the song we just heard, the oh, yay, oh, yay. Who is that man who's singing so, like, soulfully and rhythmically, and we... We located him. I understand that in your retirement, you might be doing some dancing. I dance now, at least uh, once a week for about three hours. Alfred Wong, Marshal of the Supreme Court from 1976 to 1994. He's a New Yorker, son of Chinese immigrants. He earned a Bronze Star Medal in World War II. He worked in the White House, and he loved to dance. What style? Ballroom dancing where I uh, watch other people dance and steal some of their steps. I understand, too, you've even given a a lesson or two at the court? Yes. 
Apparently, he taught some Supreme Court staff how to ballroom dance, which is fitting, because as the marshal of the Supreme Court, part of his job is to keep time. I'm the timekeeper. Oral argument at the Supreme Court is a bit like a dance. Each side generally gets a half hour. One lawyer starts it off. As soon as he starts to argue... Or she... I start the clock rolling. It's a countdown clock. That first lawyer presents to the nine justices, and the justices kind of lead. They interrupt asking questions. When it gets down to about five minutes, I press a switch in which a white light appears at an lectern. When the first lawyer finishes, the other lawyer gets a turn. Same thing. They present, justices ask questions, but each lawyer only gets 30 minutes. Now, that is the uh, nightmare for for many, many attorneys who argue here. When they run out of time... Then I have to put the red light on. No excuses. You have to stop. Okay, well, that's uh, mystery solved. So, so the thing I wanted to talk about today is the, the dance that Alfred Wong presided over. Sometimes it gets a little dicey. Okay, so I was working on our episode about Ruth Bader Ginsburg... Which, by the way, is called Sex Appeals. It's a few EPs back. Definitely take a listen. And I was listening to, like, oral argument after oral argument after oral argument, and I noticed something that kind of sent me down this rabbit hole. Mm. Okay, so I'm going to present you what I have as a mini episode. Cool. Well, I get to say that this is case number 11345. Let's dive in. Fisher against the University of Texas at Austin. And the story starts with this guy. Yes, I'm, I'm sitting in my living room on my couch. Mr. Chief Justice and members of the court. And I'm listening on my computer to the oral argument. The central issue here is whether the University of Texas at Austin. His name is Dylan Schwears. He's a lawyer now, but at the time he was a second year law student. A JD candidate at Northwestern Pritzker School of Law. And he's listening to the case for homework. And the case itself doesn't really matter for our purposes. What matters is the rhythm of the conversation. Met the two tests of strict scrutiny. You have the lawyer, Bert Ryan, making his case. Which are applicable. Mr. Ryan, before we get to that. And then you had a justice jump in. Uh, because the court is supposed to raise it on its own. In this case, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. So I'm sitting there listening. Dylan doesn't think much of this particular moment because he knows from his professor... I'm Tonya Jacoby. I'm a professor of law at Northwestern Pritzker School of Law. ...that interruptions are just part of the deal. Uh, the justices do interrupt the advocates constantly, but that's, that's expected. The rule is that the justices are allowed to interrupt the lowly lawyers, but not the other way around. No, there is this rule that says directly, if a justice begins talking, you, as the advocate, cease talking immediately. Lawyers are not allowed to interrupt, which is why, as he's listening, this other moment really caught his ear. Part of the damage claim was premised directly on the constitutional issue. It's a moment where the lawyer, Burt Ryan, is talking. Uh, get past Texas versus Lesage. Justice Sotomayor steps in. Lesage says that mere use of Bert race backs is down. cognizable injury sufficient for standing. But then... You still haven't answered how Lesage gets away from that. Well, Lesage... A, give me another... Well, I think they start to kind of bicker. Bert Rain, the advocate, and Justice Sotomayor are essentially having an argument amongst themselves, going back and forth, back and forth. Virtually all white. And that is and incorrect. Why? And that is and an assumption saying, that no. has no basis in this record. Well, it's a stereotypical no, racist it's assumption. That's it's what it is. It's not. Because that, with all so much so that 
Justice Sotomayor said, Let me finish my point. Let me finish my point. For a justice to say, let me finish my point, that is, um, that to me was very striking. He's right. For their education. Because he's a subordinate walking into their house. He's like, that's against the rules. And he keeps listening, and he starts to notice that this moment kind of keeps happening. What does a critical mm. matter? So your question is whether it, what your, your point. Again and again, the female justices just keep getting interrupted. And I just, I, I could not believe the amount of times that it happened. I, I, I remember I opened up a Word doc and I wrote and said, term paper idea, men interrupting women on the Supreme Court. So at this point, my ladies in the house might be thinking, okay, Dylan. I'm shocked, shocked to find that gambling is going on in here. Real shocker. If you were to ask my fiance about this, I think she would describe the whole thing as ironic. So I'll let you. Uh... <laughs> yeah, I mean, other other scholars from linguists to psychologists have shown that women get interrupted. I'm really happy for you. I'm let you finish. That's called Nine. business. I, I did not. In pretty much every forum. Do you know? Well, the, do, oh, I, 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 sorry, I, can I, I? Do you mind if I ask this question? You can. Well, I just want to. That's right. Right. What's so striking so about not, so ADS, we don't just uh, CFT duality is that. There's enough information. Oh, I'm sorry. I always get heckled. Yeah, so men interrupting women, not exactly front page news, but no one had ever done a systematic quantifying of this phenomenon on the Supreme Court. So what Dylan and Tanya decided to do was take all the audio from Supreme Court years 2004 to 2015. They feed it into the computer. This is hundreds of thousands of words. Actually, what they fed into the computer were transcripts, not actual audio, but whatever. And they did hand code a few additional years, including when Sandra Day O'Connor was on the court. But to identify the actual interruption points, they had the computer look for dashes. Every time anyone gets interrupted on the Supreme Court, two little dashes pop up in the transcript. So Tanya and Dylan created an algorithm that would be able to count the dashes that were interruptions. Let me guess, let me guess, let me guess. The female justices were interrupted the, uh, the most number of times. Well, technically, no. Really? The most number of interruptions actually happened between two men. So Scalia and Brian did not get along. But well, wouldn't the rash- you've not given us a rational basis except to repeat the word morality. Yes, the rational basis is that the state thinks it immoral, just as the state thinks adultery immoral. Or teaching German. Justice Scalia, who died last year, leaned conservative, Breyer leaned liberal. They spent about 21 years on the court together. And during that time, they were constantly up in each other's grill. And uh, Justice Scalia interrupted Justice Breyer four times more often than any other individual justice, except for Justice Breyer, who was interrupting Justice Scalia, who was twice as much. (laughs) Oh, so ideology trumps gender. That's kind of, uh, I don't know, hopeful? No, no, no. Because that spat between Breyer and Scalia... It's really an aberration. Even though these two men were actually interrupting each other an awful lot, we still managed to find a very large gender effect. So when they compiled all of the interruptions together... Over 7,000. In the 2004 to 2015 period. Plus reaching back to a few years when Sandra Day O'Connor was on the court, 
They looked at how many interruptions were happening to the female justices versus the men. The women are interrupted about three times as much as uh, as the average man. What's your authority for that proposition? Three times as much. I have one one person. In parents involved, we indicated that you you would need two two separate juries, wouldn't you? I certainly went in with an expectation that we would see that pattern. But I think that what's really surprising is that our impression that the advocates were interrupting the justices and that that was gendered. Meaning the male lawyers, the lowly lawyers, even they felt they could interrupt the female justices. That that was shown to be systematic was really shocking because uh, speech patterns like interruptions are a product of dominance. And so men interrupt a lot because they have traditionally been dominant within society. But that means that if a woman is in a position of clearly demarcated higher power than the man, then the man should not be interrupting the woman. And in terms of the justices interrupting each other, was there one master interrupter? Yes, in fact, absolutely. I have one one small procedural question. See if you can guess who that is interrupting RBG. I want to make you feel welcome here, but... (laughs) He is the swing vote, considered by some to be the most powerful man in America. Justice Kennedy. (laughs) (laughs) Hands down. He interrupted the female justices the most? Yes. Which, if the number of interruptions is any indication, he might be under the impression that his opinion is more important than everybody else's on the court, which is, you know, rude, but maybe not wrong. He was number one, and then uh, he was followed by Justice Scalia and Chief Justice Rehnquist. And we have some great examples. Uh, One of my favorites is he interrupts. Well, suppose there were three unrelated cases. uh, Justice Ginsburg. Pardon? Suppose there were three unrelated cases. And the advocate starts responding to him, and then about... 30 seconds, 45 seconds later, he says, I inadvertently interrupted Justice Ginsburg. I inadvertently interrupted Justice Ginsburg. Uh, But in the the 19 cases here... But, and then went on to ask another question. (laughs) Yeah, right. And there was another great example when I was with Justice O'Connor. Getting back to Justice Scalia's question, and I think it relates to what Justice O'Connor is asking, too. Justice Kennedy chimes in and says, I think this gets to what Justice O'Connor was saying. Uh, is, is your answer to uh, the last argument? That but then went on with his question. So even if it wasn't really what she was trying to get at, he had a good idea of what Justice O'Connor was saying. What does Justice O'Connor do in that situation? So Dylan and Tanya actually found in this linguistic analysis that women faced with this barrage of interruptions, they've actually found ways, whether consciously or not, to adapt and almost fight back. (laughs) But how about we talk about that after the break? Deal. Hi, everyone. This is Julia Longoria, host of The Experiment. One of the very best parts of my job is getting to call up journalists like Ed Young, Ben Newkirk, and Amanda Mole. Their reporting for The Atlantic has brought vital insight to millions of readers and listeners around the world. You can enjoy all of The Atlantic's groundbreaking journalism, gain unlimited access to every single story when you become a subscriber. Just go to theatlantic.com slash listener and get started. Uh, this is More Perfect. I'm Jad Abumrad here with Julia Longoria. We're talking about um, interruptions on the Supreme Court. So if you are one of these female justices who, and you're incessantly getting interrupted by the men, 
Uh, I'm curious, like, how do, how do the female justices adapt to that? So Dylan and Tanya noticed that when women first get on the court, they do this thing in their speech. It's, they call it polite speech. They ask if they can ask a question. I'm sorry, so you're I'm sorry. Sorry. Or they apologize for asking a question. Sorry to interrupt, but but may I, you know, I'm going to ask a question. And during that time, yeah, the, the men will just jump in. Can I ask? Sorry, sure, I'm sure it can I, the... Justice Kagan. Let me just change the. Just gets interrupted again and again and again. I agree with Justice Breyer. I just. And at one stage when she says, can I ask? I think Chief Justice Roberts actually says, can I ask? Sure, sure. Yes. Depends on who's making the referral. And then goes on to ask his question. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. No, not really. So, no, not really. You You can't. You can ask, may I ask, and that's all. But over time, Tanya and Dylan find that eventually the female justices find a way to adapt to the situation. What we did notice over time is that their use of that language uh, definitely decreased. All four of the women show um, significant reductions in their use of that polite language. Some of the justices never quite get down to the level of male speech. Most of the men enter the court not using that language much at all. Uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, having been on the court the longest out of all the women, seems to be very good at this. Ought to be doing. What was your first reason for saying? It's a little bit more direct. So instead of saying, may I ask, they're just jumping in. Could you please explain your. And they're saying, can you point to the statute where it says this? Or where should we disagree with the lower opinion here? Have we ever analyzed a case that way? They'll start asking the question, a justice will attempt to interrupt, and the woman will just continue talking and often win the floor. Well, in the. So the women start to behave like men, exactly. Which tends to fend off interruptions to a point. Take the case of Sonia Sotomayor. So what's the difference between a tower dump and targeting a particular individual? She is a woman Supreme Court justice, Latina, and in a lot of ways, she should actually be owning the anti-interruptions game. Of all the female justices, she's the one that adapted most quickly to the less polite style and started speaking like a man most quickly, and I think as a result is seen as aggressive. A terror on the bench. Nasty. Overly aggressive. A bit of a bully. Blunt. Even bullying. Will her infamous temper that some have talked about who have practiced before her flare up at all today? Uh, what is it? Sonia Sotomayor. I'm looking at her right now. She, If she's not a dead-on... For Roseanne Barr. It's, it's Roseanne Barrio. And so I've heard a lot of people say, oh, Justice Sotomayor, she's very aggressive. She talks a lot. And the numbers don't really support that. She's, she talks about as much as the average man. Sotomayor is also the woman who gets interrupted the most. So you're sort of, you're damned either way, right? <laughs> now, Maybe the most surprising thing that they found in this study is that as more and more women joined the court, like first you just had Sandra Day O'Connor, then RBG joined, today you have Sonia Sotomayor and Elena Kagan, you'd think the men might get used to it, they might cool it on the interruptions. Yes. And? No. It was the opposite. The number of interruptions has 
increased. It's certainly as there are more women on the court. We can't say for sure that that's the cause or if that's just at the same time. Um, But given that there is so much interruption of women disproportionately and the rate at which women are being interrupted seems to be increasing in the last, particularly in the last four years since there have been three women on the court, um, it does seem to be uh, in line with other research in areas such as Congress and the boardroom that show that as more women enter a traditionally male domain, the men become actually more aggressive rather than getting used to the idea. So when there are a few token women, they can live with that. But as the numbers increase to, you know, a significant (laughs) plurality, then the men start, you know, really interrupting the women. Oh, no. (laughs) Like it could be that there's a sort of hump that eventually you get over. Uh, You know, maybe if we had half of the court being women, uh, eventually the men would settle down and get used to the idea. Maybe. Maybe. (laughs) RBG gets this question all the time as the most senior woman on the court. When do you think it will be enough? When will will there be enough women on the court? And my answer is, when there are nine. Thank you, Julia. You are welcome. Thanks also to Tanya Jacoby and Dylan Schwears. We've got their study at radiolab.org slash moreperfect. Supreme Court audio is from Oye, a free law project in collaboration with the Legal Information Institute at Cornell. Leadership support for More Perfect is provided by the Joyce Foundation. Additional funding is provided by the Charles Evans Hughes Memorial Foundation. Hi, everyone. This is Julia Longoria, host of The Experiment. One of the very best parts of my job is getting to call up journalists like Ed Young, Van Newkirk, and Amanda Mole. Their reporting for The Atlantic has brought vital insight to millions of readers and listeners around the world. You can enjoy all of The Atlantic's groundbreaking journalism, gain unlimited access to every single story when you become a subscriber. Just go to theatlantic.com listener and get started.